So, as I mentioned, I want to um, use Thich Nhat Hanh's calligraphy and sla- and uh, as a basis for a conversation about life, dharma, practice. Um, these uh, um, this calligraphy was done uh, not that long ago, actually, probably. In the last few years, anyway. Um, so, and I've clustered them in, in, in themes, and we'll see where we get. And I don't have my presenter view on, so I don't know what's coming next. So, aha! <laughs> it's a good place to start. <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is the great spiritual teaching. This is it. Right, because my teacher in, in India, Punjaji, was an Advaita Vedanta teacher, used to always say, "This is it. What are you waiting for? This is it. It's nowhere else. Where do you think it's going to be? Think it's outside of yourself? Think it's somewhere else? Think it's in the future? Here it is. This is it." And I had two responses to that. One was, "God, this is it, really? <laughs> like, are you sure? I came all the way to India for this? Like, really? Yes." polluted and it's loud and like really like this is you know not all shiny and twinkly and and then the other reaction was wow this is it wow and then we'd have these amazing mystical experiences in in Lucknow is one of the most polluted cities and it's probably still is and it's like blue haze it's kind of like Beijing is now and we're sitting in the you know just piles of traffic and and reflecting on this place, well, this is it, right? This is it. It's nowhere else. Even in the midst of blue haze smog, this is it. And it's very liberating to not be postponing reality or happiness or enlightenment or freedom to some future state realm experience to, oh, it's right here. Unless we make a problem out of right here. Very profound. There's a quote I often talk about from Lao Tzu who says um, uh, he said how he starts something like um, I can't there's a th- two refrains and the second refrain is no other place will be better no other time is right and this is it oh, I just blew that one I'll tell you I'll <laughs> Next time I'm here, I'll read it. <laughs> Anyhow. So just notice what happens when you see that, right? It's, it's startling, but this is it, right? Because we live in this future-oriented mind and culture where it's always leaning towards, well, the next thing, the better thing. We're going to improve it. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better, right? It's only part of the American dream, right? Forward, progress, movement, right? And nothing wrong with all that, but we... F- we the, the, the suffering and the delusion is in believing it's somewhere else in the future, right? Even the, even the notion of a path, right? There's a Buddhist path and every tradition has a path, gives the illusion, I'm here, this long red path, which is this red line, the carpet here, ends over there, so until I get over there, I'm not very happy. Well, what if this is it, right here, right now? 
Right? Every teacher, every guru is saying that. What does that mean, actually, to live that? Right? Actually, it's radical because it, we stop fighting with reality and we stop thinking it should be different and better. It's like, this is it. You know, I'm sitting in meditation and I'm getting over this bug and I'm sweating and I'm sweating. Oh, this is it. This is it. Hot, sweaty. And if I don't think it should be different, it's not a problem. It's just hot and sweaty. This is it. Great teaching. Love it. My favorite. I have arrived. I am home. This is a beautiful Thich Nhat Hanh phrase. It's often... He says these garters and these garters will be done with in sync with the breath. I have arrived on the in-breath. I am home on the out-breath. Right? We just repeat that to ourselves as a mantra, as a reflection, as a Dharma reflection. I have arrived. I am home. It's not dissimilar to this is it. These are, these are non-dual teachings. I have arrived. I'm already here. And of course there's different levels of arriving. Right? I'm physically here. I think I'm here. I'm at Spirit Rock, right? And then as we as we, we meditate, right, it takes a while to actually get here, right? We sort of sit in the chair, and I'm here, and then we get quiet, and our mind's busy, and that takes a while to settle. And different layers of arriving, right? Arriving in our bodies, arriving in our hearts, <coughs> arriving on the earth, arriving in our vulnerability, arriving in presence arriving in love, right? Lots of different levels of arriving. So it's a good question, have you arrived? Or are you still searching somehow? And when we arrive, we are home, right? So a lot of practice is about coming home. We use that phrase coming home into our bodies, into the moment, into ourselves, into presence. What is home? What is refuge? Talk about refuge in in Buddhist practice. Where do we find refuge? Find refuge here in the present. Find refuge in our true home. Where is our true home? It's not in the nice physical structure which we might have and love. That's temporary. It's all temporary. Where's the true home where we feel at ease no matter what the circumstances? I have arrived. I am home. Welcome to the kingdom of the present moment. So we went from the country of the present moment (laughs) to the kingdom of the present moment. Right. So what I, one of the things I love about Thich Nhat Hanh is he, is he draws on he, the teachings of Jesus, and quite a few books on the reflection on the, the teachings of Jesus, the teaching of the Buddha, and the, the wisdom and the heart teachings of both great teachers. And the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is before you. Right? Similar teaching. Welcome to the kingdom of the present moment. How often do we feel like it's a kingdom or a queen queendom? Right? What interferes with us 
realizing we're already living in the kingdom. What problems do we create that get in the way of actually realizing that we're living in paradise from one perspective? the kingdom of the present moment. Right? We have this problem-seeking mm, brain, right? this negativity bias that, that's always scanning for threats and problems and what's wrong and all the things on our to-do list and all the things on our email list, all the things that we haven't done, right? that stops us feeling the joy of just being here. I'll be happy when, fill in the blank. I work with so many people and students who say, you know, and I often ask them, you know, and they're busy with work and tasks and doing, and, and I say, when do you get time to rest? When do you stop? So, well, I, I don't have any time to rest. There's so much to do. There's always things to do. There's, and it's torture. We live on this treadmill of doing. And so we, 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 we keep uh, banishing ourselves from the kingdom by doing, by this restlessness, the problem-seeking mind. There is no way to peace Peace is the way. Another beautiful wisdom teaching. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Peace is here. So, so often we sacrifice the means for the end. How many anti-war rallies have you been on that were very, very angry and violent? Right. How many progressive meetings have you been to where people get angry and fearful and hateful and reactionary in the same way that we're complaining other people are doing that, right? We sacrifice the means for the ends. It's common, it's human. And there's a place for righteous indignation and anger that gets us to move against injustice also. But so often we become that which we're protesting against. (coughs) There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. So... Has anybody getting, gotten stressed trying to get to Spirit Rock so you can meditate, so you can be peaceful? <laughs> get out the way, traffic. I'm going to try to stop a stop sign. I'm going to get to Spirit Rock and I'm going to be really peaceful. <laughs> get in, don't. <laughs> I mean, we do that, right? We're funny. Peace is the way. It doesn't really matter where we are at 7.15, whether we're on the freeway or here. It's nicer to be here. It's nice, quiet, and lovely, and friends, and cookies. And <laughs> but again, it's the same thing. This is it. If we think peace is at Spirit Rock at 7.15, then we've got a problem. Because guess what? There's traffic. And there's you know, things called like being late. Yeah. Peace is the way. Peace is every step, as he often says. 
So what does that mean, peace is the way? What does that mean to you, peace is the way? Anybody like to say? Peace is the way. Yes, Gary. Got a mic? All right. So it means to me shifting something mentally so that instead of looking for the answer outside or waiting for the right moment, that I convince myself that this is the right moment. There's some kind of shift that happens mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm able to do it myself, and sometimes I need the reminder of a teacher, or um, my cat is a great reminder. <laughs> she uh, offers me many lessons each mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, so it's a mental switch. Mental switch. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, so shifting gears a little bit. So being still. So what's that beautiful line from the Bible? Be still and know. What's the last three words? Be still and know that I am God. Or maybe that's the word of a um, Christian mystic. I think it's Meister. Is that Meister Eckhart? Anybody know the mystics? Be still and know. Right? So this is, we're entering the meditation realm. Be still. Right? Come into stillness. It's a beautiful line from a Mary Oliver poem. She says, stillness, one of the doorways into the temple. So we come to meditation to slow down, to be still. I don't think he's on, only talking about meditation, but it's one way we we get more still, we quiet within, we quiet the external busyness in service of understanding. Hard to know, hard to see, hard to penetrate, see deeply unless there's a certain amount of presence, stillness. Just like the snow globe, you know, the shake it up. Our minds usually like the snow globe. All the little glittery snow is flittering around, static thoughts and worries and preoccupations. So we do whatever we do, whatever practice, whether it's meditation or being in nature or movement or qigong or art or something, listen to music that allows us to come to stillness so we can know. I guess the question is, what are we knowing? What are we knowing in that stillness? Hopefully out of that stillness comes wisdom. And I think of, I think of our, the culture that we live in, and I'm as much part of it as anybody, there's not a lot of stillness anymore, is there? I mean, we run pretty fast. Without devices and uh, time scarcity and packed schedules and 
Where do we find stillness? Or what are we losing? What are we sacrificing with that lack of stillness? I think we lose depth. We get a lot of stuff done. Right? We're very efficient. But at the end of the day, can maybe feel a bit empty. So I got a lot done, you know. So what? There's, the inbox is going to fill up again tomorrow morning. <laughs> Good luck. <coughs> I'm saying I'm not. I'm not dismissing. You know, there's a place for efficiency and getting things done. And what gets lost when we get caught in the trance of busyness, of movement. I know when I take time, either it's in meditation or in nature or in retreat, and there's more access to stillness, there's access to a deeper knowing, deeper layers of understanding in myself, life, what's meaningful, what's important. And when there's not, you know, there's a bit of a headless chicken kind of syndrome. You know, it's busy and it's but uh, maybe not so grounded with what's really important. And then a variation on the theme, be still and heal. This is also very interesting. And I think about how much sickness comes from our relentless doing, the march of progress. I was watching a film at the Lark Theatre yesterday on called This Changes Everything, a film on climate change. Anybody was there Sunday? It's an interesting film. And it was um, partly chronicling just our, the way we our civilization lives and the, the sacrifices that are made because of our choices. And one of the things that gets sacrificed is health, well-being. You know, I work in healthcare where the stress rate, the burnout rates of doctors are often at 45%. And, you know, when we were out of touch with ourselves, we often get sick. Anybody here tired? Like tired, like a lot? Tired, underslept? Work too hard? Yeah. Yeah. Be still and heal. What happens when we slow down? Sometimes when we slow down, we have to feel. We have to feel all the things that we're running away from that keeps us so busy running. That's why meditation is challenging, because we have to sit and face ourselves. Right? But it can be profoundly healing, because we, we, we face the demons, we face the things that we're afraid of. We face the insecurities, the deficiencies, the hurts, the confusion, fears, traumas. Right? Very healing to meet that with a kind, loving presence. So 
Does anybody like to share what, the, what this means to you? Be still and heal. <coughs> Stand out for anybody? Mm. Be still and heal. Yeah? yeah? I got a microphone over here. Have you? This is a constant reminder that there's so many ways we can get off track. Mm-hmm. So just knowing how to have the skills to know that you can always come back home. Mm-hmm. But, but just to embrace the unknown mm. and the uncertainty that will come up. Mm-hmm. When you come back home mm-hmm. and just to meet that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, meet the uncertainties when we come home. Yeah, thank you. Okay, be free where you are. Kind of getting a sense there's a theme in these things. <laughs> it's kind of like saying the same thing over and over. <laughs> Be free where you are. Right. So one of the things my teacher used to say was, the only thing that keeps you in bondage is the idea that you're not free. Remove the idea, and what's left? enslaved to some idea that we're not free. What would it be like to let go of the whatever thoughts that keep you bound? You know, of course, there's different levels of meaning of freedom, right? So in, 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 in America, there's this notion of freedom, very central to the Constitution, freedom of movement, religion, of right to bear arms, etc. But what does freedom on a deeper level mean? Be free where you are, wherever you are. You know, I think about uh, all these amazing stories of um, Tibetan practitioners who were imprisoned and jailed and tortured in Tibet and elsewhere. by the Chinese military who've endured tremendous, tremendous hardships and yet they're still able to evoke compassion for their jailers. Right? That's, that's a deep level of freedom to find that sense of open-heartedness in the most intolerable of conditions. So again, looking at your, the circumstances of your life, your relationship, your work, your body, the conditions of your life, how to be free in the midst of all those. What does that mean to be free with a body that has a chronic illness, or in the, in the family, the way you're taking care of a sick relative? Is freedom in the external conditions or is it freedom in the mind in relationship to what's happening? So I think about Thich Nhat Hanh, who's sort of um, 
post-stroke, not talking. I have seen pictures of him, but I imagine he has a sweet smile on his face because he normally did have. Um, it's certainly a smile in his heart of ease, a peace in the midst of where he is. Be free where you are. This reminds me of that phrase from Suzuki Roshi. Uh, you're perfect just as you are, and you could all do with a little improvement. <laughs> you're completely perfect just as you are, but you all could do with a little improvement. But we start with the perfect just as you are, right? Be yourself, be beautiful, be your beautiful selves. Right? Don't listen to the critic and the inner tyrants and the judges and the killjoys and the, all the negative voices that we've carried around like a heavy backpack saying we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not beautiful enough. What would it be like to be your beautiful self as you are? Because we are all beautiful in our own unique way, our unique gifts. So this is a classic um, line from the Buddha. This is really, really the Buddha is a social activist who um, radically went against the prevailing orthodoxy of the time, which was uh, the Hindu understanding of caste, that we are caste is predetermined by our birth, and, ca- and therefore uh, nobility being also determined by birth. And the Buddha said, no, nobility is not from where you or how you were born or what caste you were born into, but it's from your how you live your life by noble actions, by noble speech, by noble uh, intentions, from noble living, not from birth. So we ennoble ourselves by how we live. Right? The four ennobling truths the Buddha spoke to the truths that, are, that wake us up from ignorance, wake us up from causing harm to others. So we all can have that uh, ennoblement. We can all be nobles. <laughs> noble men and noble women. Depending on wh- how we live. Right? And, and, and it's always, the choice is always up to us. And I think about this actually. I think about this as a lot as a as a as a useful restraint from unwholesome action. When I think about what's ennobling, and there's a desire to do something that's not so wholesome, and I think, is this is this really ennobling my life or anybody else's life? Right? What would the Buddha think about this action? And it's and it's a helpful restraint, not as a like, oh my God, what if the Buddha knew he would tell me off? But more just now wanting to live with dignity, with a sense of um, healthy self-respect, right? Because we, you know, we often, if we do things unskillful, we look back on them, and there's regret, and there's remorse. <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> Are you sure? 
we're so attached and convinced by our knowing and our views and our ideas of how the world is and this is right and this is wrong and right and of course we're right and everybody else might not be are you sure and this is a great this is again it's a beautiful aspect of buddhist teaching the questions to ask us to to look deeply what do you know what do you know for sure how do you know it to be true Look directly to an experience. This is not doubt, this doesn't mean doubt yourself, it just means look deeply. Question, ask. You know, that beautiful Zen koan, what is this? What is this? What is this moment? What is this life? What is this hand? What is this body? What is this flower? What is this? Do we really know what this is? Are you sure? This is it. This is it. it. You sure? (laughs) 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 So now shifting to uh, a different uh, body of teaching, but again another beautiful um, part of Thich teaching. And I'm so enjoying uh, giving this talk because it's just um, making me appreciate and remember so much of Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching who's been you know, influential in, the, in Buddhism in, in the West for probably 40 years. Um, so one of the, his wonderful teachings is, is, is a deep but very simple teaching of interconnectedness. Right? So this is the core of the Buddhist teaching is causality, of how everything is interrelated, interconnected, interwoven. The, br- the bread in your hand is the body of the cosmos. I think I was doing an eating meditation with him. So he, he used to come to the land here before we built, had these buildings in the, in the 90s and a few thousand, 2,000 people would be on, sitting out on the hillside and <coughs> beautiful uh, teachings. And, uh, do an, and, uh, Wendy Palmer would do, Wendy uh, Johnson would do an eating meditation and... Um, I think she used to say, I got this from somewhere, this apple has taken 13.5 billion years to be created. You know, the whole history of the cosmos is in this apple. And it's true. And your sandwich, you know, and your raisins, and your lump of cheese, or whatever it is you eat. The bread in your hand is the body of the cosmos, right? Everything went into that bread, the rain clouds, and the earth, and the pollinating bees, and minerals and rock formation and everything is in there, exploding stars. The same two of our body. We are walking stardust. So so he's inviting us to look deeply into things. Again, to be still and know. Be still and look deeply. The tears I shed yesterday have become rain. So we're part of the hydrological cycle, as Joanna Macy talks about. You know, literally, we are. We are mostly, you know, living in the Bay Area, we're mostly Sierra Nevada water, right? That's where our water comes from, the snowpack and the rainfall, and some from the, one of the rivers up north, right? And the, the, the rainfall from the mountain, from Mount Tam. 
the tears I shed have become rain, right? So we take in the clouds and the oceans and the sea and becomes part of us. We weep, becomes moisture, becomes cloud, becomes rain, right? We're just part of the cycle. I drink this tea, I pee it out, goes into the ocean, comes back, different flavor, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> A little filtration, hopefully. <laughs> Smile to the cloud and drink some tea. Smile to the cloud in your tea. Yeah. So again, looking deeply into the cycle of things, yeah, the mystery of things. And then giving thanks, giving appreciation. Right? Without clouds, no tea. Right? If you look at this glass of water, right? it's clouds, it's rain, it's ocean. Right? And it's amazing, it's liquid, it's clear. But it's uh, all things contained in that glass. In the famous thing that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says, he holds up a piece of paper and he says, what do you see? And I ask, what do you see? What do you see? Piece of paper, yeah. What else do you see? Trees. What else do you see? Space. Sun. What else do you see? Loggers. Yeah. History of printmaking. Yeah. I mean, everything. Civilization. Rain, right? It's all in, all in a piece of paper. <clears throat> and then we apply this to each other. Right? We are not separate. We are in. We into are, as he says. As you are in my awareness, therefore I am in you, and you are in me. You exist, therefore I am, and vice versa. So these are very deep teachings. You are, therefore I am. I am, therefore you are. We inter-are, we inter-being, interconnected. And out of that, if I've got this right slide order, out of that understanding of our interconnectedness comes care, comes love comes compassion. I am here for you. Out of that understanding of our interconnection comes ethics, comes love, comes compassion, comes care, comes service, right? comes understanding how we need each other. That we're hardwired to connect and take care and love. I am here for you. Of course, that could be also his personal message to his, whoever who's watching, I am here for you. Look with compassion. So out of that interconnection, looking with caring eyes, One of my friends wanted to write a book called Gazing at the World with Soft Eyes. It was a book on metta, on loving kindness. And the publisher went, mm, no, I'm not going to have that one as a title. 
But I loved it, gazing at the world with soft eyes. It's the same as this, look with compassion. So Sharon called it loving kindness instead. No, she called it as hard as a big as a heart as wide as the world, which is also a beautiful phrase. Look with compassion. So we know when we meet someone who has compassionate eyes, right? There's a softness. Right? There's not a kind of a glare. There's not a harshness. Right? You feel held. You feel embraced by that gaze. Right? Some people just have that. You know, like when you when a good friend meets you, usually they they're looking at you with these compassionate, kind eyes, right? Or our parents, or our grandparents. You know, if we could get out of our reactivity of how we see them and actually see how they see us, it would be with kind eyes, probably. So um, I'm kind of whipping through these because I want to share There's some beautiful ones towards the end. So then we move into uh, his relationship to the earth a little bit. Mother Earth is the most beautiful Bodhisattva. So Bodhisattva is uh, a Buddhist figure, one who dedicates their life to relieving the suffering of the world. So Mother Earth is the most beautiful Bodhisattva. So the Earth is this life-giving, life-generating force that relieves so many of our ailments, of hunger, of thirst, of shelter, of warmth, etc. The most generous bodhisattva. We don't treat her very well, but she's an amazing life-giving force. Go home to nature and let your natural, let your nature heal you. So I'm I have a bias towards this particular slide. <laughs> go home to nature and let your nature heal you, right? So when we go out into nature, one of the things we discover is we come into contact with our true nature. It's somehow often for most of us easier to feel at home in nature. Not for all of us, but for many people. There's something about getting away from, from our technology, our devices, our stuff, we come into something that's not egocentric and allows us to quiet, allows us to feel ourselves, be with ourselves. So I just created a, um, this is a great moment to plug this thing, I just created a new Facebook page and it's going to become a blog, but it was the easiest thing to do to start it was the Facebook page, and it's called We Protect What We Love. We protect what we love. So uh, as an environmental uh, steward and activist, um, why I do my nature work is so I want people to go into nature with a contemplative awareness so they fall deeper in love with it, so they're motivated to care and act on its behalf. Right? We're most motivated by love, not by fear and anger, even though they can be motivating. And so, um, so this, uh, this Facebook page, which I'm going to be posting every day, is um, mostly posting all the beautiful things that, uh, 
the beauty of the earth and all the ways that we can fall in love with it, but also all the amazing things that people are doing to uh, positive actions towards uh, affecting climate change. Because I think we need to hear more good news rather than depressing statistics. So check it out. We protect what we love and like it. Apparently that's a good thing if you like it. It does something. I'm not quite sure what it does, but people tell me it's a good thing. <clears throat> Go home to nature and let your nature heal you. So, so yeah, so the teaching is go home, go out into nature, let its healing waters heal you. Um, I'm going to pass on this one. Each step through the deserted gate full of ripened leaves, I follow a small path. Earth, earth is as red as a child's lips. Suddenly I am awake. I'm aware of each step I make. So again, this beautiful way of nature waking us up into the present moment. And then lastly, a few simpler teachings, just like this is it. <laughs> just let go. <laughs> Easier said than done. I like the caveat then. We let go, we let go. The path to letting go is through letting be, usually. But always a good question, what are we holding on to? Right? And the core of our suffering, the Buddha said, is, is how we let go, we attach, we hold on, we demand. So what are, we, what are we doing this to that we could do this to? Whether it's ourselves, our heart, our bodies, our relationships or whatever. Can we, what can we release, what can we soften, what can we allow? Last couple of slides. There is no way home. Home is the way. There is no way home. That's a problem given you going home in 15 minutes. But anyhow, we're talking about a deeper level of there is no way home. Home is the way. And just like peace is the way, we're already here. We're, home is already here. Where else would we go? Huh? Where else would we go? I'm not sure if there's any more. Let's see. Ah, yes. Peace is every step. Peace is every step. So when it's not every step, then get curious. Let go. When peace isn't every step, what's interfering with peace from arising in this moment? Both literally and metaphorically. Here's a beautiful line about walking meditation where he says, uh, you know, usually we imprint anxiety and distress when we walk on the earth. See if with your footsteps, with each step you can imprint uh, peace and calm or love with each step. And so we're, you know, we're walking on the earth's skin. So can we leave a, an impression of you know, kindness or appreciation or gratitude? And there you have it. So um, back to mindfulness, right? It all starts here with this presence. 